Thanks for joining us for this episode of Coffee with Closers, where business leaders share insights on how to build businesses from the ground up and best practices for innovating in their industry. Today I have the opportunity to sit down with Robert Jacoby. He's a serial entrepreneur with a, a lot of experience building service companies as well as software companies. So I want to have the opportunity to talk with him and get, get to know some of his insights in building companies. Hey Robert, thanks for joining me. Pleasure, thank you Samuel. Hey, for our audience who don't really know much about you, can you share a little bit about your history? Sure, uh, it's, it's a, boy, almost 20, 20 year history, I guess. Really started off in 2000 with a web uh, development uh, agency, focusing on our own software product at the time, a proprietary content management system. From there, we went into utilizing open source and focused on the consulting solution side for approximately 15 years. And we focused using Joomla as one of the early content management systems. And, and you became Joomla president for a short while as well. And then yes, in uh, was it 2016, 2017, time flies, I was uh, president of Joomla for one year as well. And Joomla is one of the largest open source platform next to WPA, uh, WordPress. Correct, so WordPress is by far the largest open source content management system. It runs about 35% globally, 50 plus percent within the United States or North America. Joomla is significantly less represented globally. It's only around 3%, but it actually still puts it at number two above all other open source content management systems. It's primarily utilized in Europe, uh, South America, Asia, countries where multilingual websites are, are a key and critical component to success. Most certainly. And the most recently, you exited Perfect Dashboard, which was acquired by WP Engine as well. Correct. So about, uh, now it's about two and a half years ago, I started uh, on the executive team for Perfect Dashboard, actually a Polish company, and we were focusing on WordPress automatic updates, security, and backup solutions. And we had a number of pivots and opportunities and try to take them all and eventually wound up being acquired. Uh, the assets were acquired by WP Engine in the beginning of 2019. Awesome, so you've had tremendous experience building service companies, product companies, and ultimately being in the SaaS space and, and obviously ex uh, ex exiting from one of those. Correct. So what are some of the lessons you've learned building businesses? Boy, there's a lot of lessons. <laughs> They're all over the place. A lot of that is to uh, understand you know what you're wanting to do even in the first place when we jumped into building an agency in 2000 we were thinking this would just be great we're gonna do an internet agency this is let's take no brains mm -hmm. have a couple of really smart people together we'll just tell everyone what we're doing and yeah it's a lot harder to tell everyone what you're doing it's a lot harder to execute mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to just run a business in general it's not uh, as trivial and mm -hmm. really takes a lot of effort and we kind of went into that back then just wide-eyed and very naive about all the requirements for, for being successful especially being around as long as we have mm -hmm. and some of that is it's a good thing to be naive about it because then you <laughs> don't worry so much about what you don't know mm -hmm. but I think one of the key components is getting prepared in the places where you're not actually good at and, and taking a hard look at what you like to do, what you're good at doing, and mm -hmm. then really uh, being critical about filling in the blanks for other you know, 
roles and solutions to make your company better. Mm -hmm. So anything from making sure you have the right you know, accounting and HR resources available to you, that doesn't mean hire them in-house, especially mm -hmm. if you're a startup, you're not gonna be able to afford that and that's a waste of money. Mm -hmm. But you know, reaching out, making sure you have all those resources in place and understanding that unless you really like doing those things, you're gonna be wasting a lot of time mm -hmm. and it's worth the money because the amount of time you spend is going to be double if you actually enjoyed it and mm -hmm. you probably won't do it as well. So that, I think that's a very critical component is looking at how to prepare for the pieces that you don't have. Most certainly, and I think that's another challenge most entrepreneurs have. Like there's, you know, there's so many areas, right? There's sales, there's marketing, there's operation, there's product design, there's HR. I mean, you, could, you name it, there's so many different hats that you may have to wear. What, what were some of the areas that you knew from the very get-go that that's not your specialty and that you knew that you had to get people to, to kind of take on? Oh, without a doubt, it was uh, HR and accounting. That, mm -hmm. that's, that was not gonna be something that I was interested in focusing on. Mm -hmm and it would really be a waste of, of time. Mm -hmm. my, my job was to focus on our products and solutions in a more uh, global way, mm -hmm. a generic way, um, and then of course being the face and the outreach for our companies when we were you know, trying to do sales, business development, and eventually uh, acquisitions. Makes sense. So obviously there's some unique challenges that comes along when you're building a service company versus a SaaS company. What were some of the things that you saw commonality between building a service company versus a, a SaaS company? So the, the commonality for sure is people. Mm -hmm. you're, you're going to have to have the right people and manage the people well. Mm -hmm. you, you're going to have, because that will be number one, your largest expense. Generally should be, especially when you're starting up. You, you want to make sure you're investing in the right people to be mm -hmm. with you, whether it's your partners, you may not be taking salaries and things, but you're still gonna have a level of staff, even if you know it's one or two people in the beginning, and that will eat up a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So you really wanna, and that does that cuts across any kind of you know startup, whether it's solutions-based or software SaaS-based, uh, you're gonna wind up investing a lot in people. Mm -hmm. So when you do that, make sure that if there is a mistake, uh, resolve that immediately, mm -hmm. because bad staff, uh, is you know a just costly in general, but can uh, ruin morale and cause efficiency uh, and op uh, operations issues throughout the company. Mm -hmm. So being able to find the right people and then pull the trigger on the on, on people that aren't working out, I think, is very critical. Mm -hmm. And it's a hard one because a lot of times you're starting out with friends and acquaintances you may have known. And you're like, this will be great. We'll start something. And we'll we'll do it. But when you get into that environment. Uh, to successfully run a business, you may not actually mess with the rest of your team and vice versa. So you need to be able to be very aware of that, mm -hmm. be very open and communicative about that, but also pull the trigger if, uh, if it's not working out because that'll that'll sink you right away. Most certainly, I was talking with the, the founder of G2 Crowd. He had almost three successful exits and all of them, he had the same leadership members on all all of his major ventures, and he said they're almost like family to him. And so they know his temperament, his style, and they know how to adapt to that. And he knows each one of his key leadership uh, members. And so he's able to kind of take them, and, and he, every one of those exits been extremely successful as well. Yep. I think the most recent one was Teal Briggs as well. So he shared the importance of the right people. And then he said he's, he handpicks those those key leadership members because he, he wants to make it, sure that he can get along. It's absolutely critical, yep because that's, that's the big part of that.
So obviously the commonality being people aspect of it. What are some of the things that you found unique about a service company um, that you didn't see uh, to apply for a SaaS company? Uh, certainly technical infrastructure is much more important on a SaaS. Mm -hmm. You can't go down. Mm -hmm. and you, people are expecting from a SaaS that it's always available, always ready for whatever that solution is. Mm -hmm. And you need to make sure you invest in the technology and you know, other platforms and tools around your actual end solution that don't disappoint. Mm -hmm. More people, there, there's less wiggle room and more critical decision making for SaaSes. If I go to a SaaS that I happen to hear about at a mm -hmm. conference or searching on Google and it doesn't work, uh, you know, two clicks in, mm -hmm. being able to review the functionality or actually um, sign up and, you know, uh, a, do a purchase to be a subscriber to a SaaS. Mm -hmm. You don't get a second chance with uh, a lot of consulting and uh, solution selling. There's more opportunity to A, meet one-on-one -on -one with your mm -hmm. potential customers and ongoing clients and have those discussions, uh, build uh, deeper relationships that are, are actually much more forgiving mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Whereas a you know one-click world, you know, okay, you know, if you have a, great streaming service, there's probably 17 other streaming services for whatever that is. And if this isn't working, I'm happy to cut it off. Yeah. And I can, mm -hmm. because it's on the monthly basis. And you know, if Netflix starts always sputtering video, mm -hmm. I'll be like, you know, it's not worth having, and I'm, I'm gone. And there's really no personal touch to that. It's, mm -hmm. it's so, you know, hands off. So you, yeah, I mean that infrastructure really needs to be in place. That's primarily the reason why I think in the B two B space they're mostly trying to have long term contracts with most of the SaaS products too. There's a lot of self service ones that are month to month. For the most part, if you really want to enjoy the the, the special discounted prices and things like that, you kind of have to sign an annual contract. Correct, and then a lot of people will start out maybe with that self service for mm -hmm. a month or two just to get a feel for it. But then yes, uh, on the B two B side, you you generally want to both as the seller and the end user get into a long-term relationship so you can start building up that trust and actually maybe having mm -hmm. human phone calls and conversations and uh, really benefiting each other because you'll have a client base that is engaged with your product, is looking to make it better mm -hmm. because they already like it and are obviously paying for it and so you're getting a lot of feedback as the SaaS provider mm -hmm. almost for free in that case and then of course at some point some of that feedback can be turned into additional revenue opportunities. Most certainly. And I have, I had first-hand experience trying to build a SaaS company and, and everybody get excited when you're talking about building SaaS because it's recurring revenue, it's scalable, it requires less human uh, inter intervention and involvement and there's you know there's a lot of the, that comes with it and extremely more profitable than a service company right there's a lot of oh, the scalability lot of upside is to that huge. correct but then it also comes with a lot more uh, a lot more things that you don't really anticipate right sometimes just based on how you price it uh, you know the the overarching economies of you know the unit econ economics right that could be a little bit more complicated than what you anticipate right the cost of acquisition uh, maybe sometimes uh, be more than what the uh, initial lifetime value of that customer might be. Correct. There's a lot of things that you have to figure out. So you said when you when you were working at the perfect dashboard, you kind of had to make your business model change a little bit, uh, almost three times before you really figured out what your really growth, you know, the amazing growth strategy was. So, so what were some of those those experiences that you had at, at perfect dashboard? So, so we we certainly had a, a number of pivots. We we started out as a direct to consumer product. So you had a WordPress website or a Joomla website, 
oh, but you know, hopefully you found this on Google looking for backup and automatic updating services, and you could just you know, launch it onto your website. It would mm -hmm. be a very simple SaaS solution to do that. But that is, you mentioned already, the cost of acquisition for getting that many people is huge. Mm -hmm. And not everyone really needs that, and there's just a lot of variables to it. Mm -hmm. uh, as well as supporting one to one, you know, a million different people is much more uh, labor, labor intensive and, and just complex in to try in trying to build out solutions that are scalable on the support side to have mm -hmm. that many people. So then we sort of did a slight pivot to focusing on you know small, medium, large size agencies, so there would be less points of contact. They would already have an installed customer base, mm -hmm. and then they'd be able to deploy our solution across their customer base, mm -hmm. which was okay. So mm -hmm. that, was, that was a step in the right direction. The thinking then went, well, who's the next line that's, that, that's even bigger and has mm -hmm. sort of more uh, built-in customer base that, that we could be uh, reaching out to? And that wound up being hosting companies. Mm -hmm. So every individual user obviously has a host. Every agency obviously has one or multiple hosts. But a single host has so many more people. So mm -hmm. you're looking at a number of hosts that are you know, easily in the 100 plus thousand mm -hmm. uh, client site market, as well as then you even get higher to the one, two, three plus uh, million mm -hmm. uh, market. So that was our next sort of uh, focus of opportunity where we could become an embedded product in some of these hosting company solutions. Mm -hmm. So it's essentially that one to many the the sales model, correct? Which is you know I mean it, when you hit that it's it's an amazing opportunity. Have you seen that work in the service side of businesses as well, where they've used more of a partner channel to to build a service company? Uh, there are some companies that are trying to do that. The one that comes uh, straight to mind is a WordPress support maintenance company called GoWP, mm -hmm. and they build out a channel as well. So they have a white label channel that goes out and works through agencies as well. Mm -hmm. So they started out very similarly as a direct-to-consumer client mm -hmm. and have now really uh, in the last year focused on uh, getting into those uh, medium-sized, their sort of sweet spot is that large, small, medium-sized agency market where those agencies don't have the support team. It doesn't make sense for them. That's not their expertise. Mm -hmm. And they can now provide that with actual human scalable support as well as a lot of technology that facilitates that as well. So they're scaling up both on the tech they have as well as the uh, human component. Most certainly, you know, also from your experience uh, representing some of these companies that you've worked for, uh, brought you, you know, took you to multiple countries around the world. So what have you seen um, that is unique in some of those foreign markets that you're not really seeing? Are there any uh, advancements or expansions that's happening in foreign markets that the United States is kind of falling behind? I, I would say the expansion in foreign markets is in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So uh, people who I had the opportunity to work with have always focused on how do we get this into the U.S. market, whether mm -hmm. uh, it's Indian firms or uh, European firms. They, they've always looked to the U.S. as the big leap and mm -hmm. how, how do we make our offering you know, compatible with U.S. markets, U.S. audiences. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at Southeast Asia and India, for companies, you know, cost of labor and services is significantly uh, mm -hmm. less expensive, but you still need to be able to be meaningfully relevant to a, a U.S. audience. Mm -hmm. And price sensitivity is not always the issue. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times it's figuring out, 
okay, we're the cheapest thing we can, you know, we're great, we're cheap, you know, mm -hmm. our work is, you know, top notch. How do you communicate that message? And it's, and it's difficult because a lot of people will instantly feel like, well, you're offshore, mm -hmm. well, you know, how is this going to really work? And how do we make that uh, valuable to us, not just, you know, throwing less money than we would at a problem that still might not get solved? Most so that's certainly. always a trick yeah. that people are trying to figure out. And that is the focus I've seen. So, yeah, I mean, even even some of the tools that we use as well, like including like Axiom Rush, feel those tools are all uh, made overseas and then marketed here, and then, and then they have a support structure here in the states. Correct. But maybe maybe a little bit of leadership, but uh, correct. Yeah. Th there definitely needs to be some kind of native support. Yeah, a lot of the R and D and product development is almost done wherever they're. That can the be wherever. Is. Absolutely. Yeah, most certainly. And what are some of the mistakes you've seen a lot of the entrepreneurs, especially in the SaaS space, making um, that, you know, in the interest of just trying to scale and things like that? What are some of the things that you've seen them do? Uh, I think a lot of it goes to a lot of startups is sort of that wishful thinking. Uh, we'll build something great. We know it's great. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, no one finds you. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you get that? You know, how do you get that word out? How do you get awareness? Um, are, are you doing the actual thinking about what does it cost for uh, a client to be acquired, so the cost of acquisition, what is what is the revenue model for the clients? Doing mm -hmm. a lot of the fiscal financial work, mm -hmm. uh, especially on the engineering side, people get very excited, very excited to build something new and great mm -hmm. and, oh, we can scale this, it'll be easy, we'll throw it on AWS and all that, but uh, have you really done the homework for the revenue model and figured out how you're going to actually mm -hmm. continue paying for this after the first six to 12 months. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know the unit econom economics and know what the ac acquisition costs and what the lifetime value is, you can underinvest, right? And then you may, not, uh, you may not be generating the number of customers as you need to even sustain the business. That's, ex that's exactly it. And hosting companies, the successful hosting companies have, have really figured out these numbers because mm -hmm. the margins, especially on the low end hosting packages are so tight. Mm -hmm. and if you don't know the numbers, then you're gonna be buried. Mm -hmm. So you'll typically see hosting companies realize that their uh, you know, lifetime value only uh, lasts 18 months mm -hmm. because it's very easy to switch hosts. So mm -hmm. they, need to get, they need to get as much value out of that customer right away as possible, anything above 18 months Mm -hmm. is gravy so mm -hmm. you might have that's the total lifetime value of a customer is those 18 months so mm -hmm. how do you measure what's the cost of acquisition for that if it's going to take you know eight to 12 months of a customer being on my service and i'm only getting six more months out of it you know okay that's fine but then mm -hmm. i really got to focus on scale and not necessarily xyz whatever mm -hmm. that may be or i need to focus on new product offerings that can make the end user jump more sticky, so mm -hmm. you know, uh, and not just sticky, but also jump to maybe new levels of service. Mm -hmm. So if I come in as a, I need a hosting package for one year, and I'm going to pay sixty dollars for that year, that's great. Mm -hmm. But what else as a hosting company can I do to make them want to jump to more managed services? Mm -hmm. So a lot of hosting companies are now looking at managed service offerings that are just as scalable, but offer more solutions, sometimes built in-house or sometimes partnered and white-labeled with, and you wouldn't even know it, but it's a mm -hmm. robust solution just to be able to pay extra value. So if I can get 10 of these really critical hosting features and only pay 40 bucks more a year, so now I'm paying 100 bucks a year, but now the actual profit margin for that customer mm -hmm. has increased by so really knowing your numbers, especially as you're getting started with your company, not, not just in, you know, innovating or just coming up with a product idea, but really knowing your unit economics so you know 
where to invest and how to properly uh, address the churn issues, how to address the the, the retention as well as um, also growing those accounts. And churn uh, is a great word. That's a great yeah. word for the audience in general. Yeah. yeah. How, you know, what is the churn? Yeah. Uh, what does churn mean? The, you know, the, how quickly am I losing company, customers? You know, what's the cost of that churn? You, you know, we see that with mobile mm-hmm. uh, phone providers. They hate churn because, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, after that first couple of, you know, six months, 12 months, that's free money for them. So mm-hmm. you want to... You don't want to forget about those customers who've already paid off for themselves. You want to make sure you, you, know, yeah, and you hold on to them. Cell phone companies are the ones that are willing to give you two, three hundred dollars to earn a line, right? They're yep. like, oh, you know, come on over. They they want competitor conquest campaigns, and essentially to win you from other competitors. Correct. Yeah, they can provide for me after twelve months. Yeah, and so that's why service <laughs> and things become very important. And as it becomes, and you know, if we look in the past for mobile cell providers, it was very difficult to you know switch providers. Mm-hmm. Now it's trivial. So. All these companies really do need to focus on you know, the stickiness. You know, mm-hmm. why? Okay, AT and T, you're really not that much better or worse than Verizon. So why shouldn't I just switch every two years and get you know the best deal I possibly can? I can keep my phone number. Uh, my phone probably works on both systems easily. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So uh, you need to focus on that because it will cost you more. It, without doubt, it always costs you more to acquire a new client than mm-hmm. to keep an existing one. Yeah, I mean, most companies underestimate that whole idea of retention. Because it's a lot easier to retain once you've gotten gotten them in the door. Correct. Figuring out what else you can do to, to retain that or even to increase the wallet size with that same client over time. Exactly. So obviously, let's just say you know, you're building a SaaS company, uh, you have a product you know, kind of developed, um, and you're given a million dollars to reinvest into the company to kind of scale and grow. How would you invest that from a sales and marketing side? I think it's critical to do, you know, spend a, a percentage of that doing research and understanding your market because, mm-hmm. you know, using like the perfect dashboard example, our market switched three times in a year and a half mm-hmm. and it, always in, a, in the correct trajectory, but it was ongoing research and, and trying to understand who our you know, best customer would be, best mm-hmm. customer for the actual solution, best customer from a, a product perspective mm-hmm. and, and spending that time and money and resources to do that. Depends on your solution you're selling as well. Mm-hmm. If it's a a more expensive B two B solution, you're going to want to be uh, in front of people, mm-hmm. and that would mean you know you know maybe spending a little bit more on having one or two. Again, we're, I'm trying to figure out a relative size to the company, but mm-hmm. you know spending a little bit on actual uh, business development staff, seasoned mm-hmm. staff that can actually go out, have a conversation with the, someone, understands the uh, solution, and you know, walk them through the process. Mm-hmm. If it's a more self-service application, then yeah, you're going to need to do uh, marketing. That's going to be primarily through, uh, you know, search engine uh, marketing and advertising spending and social media cam- campaigns. Mm-hmm. You're going to definitely want to make sure that your SEO is top-notch uh, within your products and service offerings so people can find you even if they just you know, sort of have an inkling or idea of what they want, mm-hmm. but then once they know that they can actually have that in their face as well. Most so, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, some of the challenges that I've noticed with the, the SaaS companies or even any company for that matter, they're all more focused about the bottom of final conversions. Like, hey, how can I get somebody who's actively looking for my product or service? How do I get them to, to hear about me and convert, right? But very little focus on building the brand, building the awareness. Um, have you seen that to be the trend? And if so, what have you seen? I have a great example for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a company actually based out of Chicago as well called Termageddon. Mm-hmm. And you would probably have never Googled for their name or anything, mm-hmm. but you 
have probably in the last year Googled for uh, the California Privacy Policy Act, mm -hmm. other legal terms and conditions, uh, documentation, mm -hmm. uh, resources. Well, f for WordPress, they have a SaaS solution. Actually, it applies to any uh, web application. It's a mm -hmm. pure SaaS. And they are a privacy policy in terms con and conditions SaaS company. Mm -hmm. So they've spent, um, I, I'm making up numbers I'm, from uh, experience, they've spent a whole bunch of time mm -hmm. actually being out in the community, face-to-face. Mm -hmm. -face. So the founders are at WordCamp events, WordCamp uh, US, WordCamp, you name it, they're there. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're definitely uh, getting in front of community members and small to medium-sized agencies. Because mm -hmm. they've attacked the agency market side of the universe. Mm -hmm. And their focus is just at least getting that name recognition to the people who are building the websites. Clients don't ever really think of terms and conditions and privacy mm -hmm. policies and all this legal stuff on their websites until they have to. And now they have to with some of the regulations being uh, enacted in the US. I mean, yeah. Europe's had the GDPR, GDR, GDRP for a while. And now we're seeing some of that uh, come in on the U.S. side. And mm -hmm. That's become a very quick-growing, uh, pure SaaS kind. It's a, sort of a legal SaaS, and it's, it's brilliant. And yeah. they've, they've uh, been running you know, full steam for a while. Yeah, and I think a lot of companies do underestimate the, the power of building the brand. Um, they're more so concerned about how can I drive inbound leads for a demo request or request a quote, things of that nature, which is, of course, is the most important part of a, a, a true marketing strategy. But not at the expense of ignoring a top of funnel strategy that's really focused on building awareness. And that's and what Termagen is absolutely doing. They're, they're, they, they do a lot of uh, self-built social media, mm -hmm. interviews, podcasts, a lot of things like that that are, that you are not necessarily buy, buy, buy. They're not mm -hmm. looking in someone's face and telling them to buy it. They're, they're building up really a, a level of awareness. So when you eventually will mm -hmm. look up, I need a po privacy policy, and you don't want to pay your lawyer, you mm -hmm. know, fifteen hundred or five thousand dollars to draft one from scratch. You can utilize literally a legal SaaS. Mm -hmm. And uh, apart from like just focusing on building brand awareness or not having the unit economics, are there any other um, mistakes that you've seen entrepreneurs make when they're building a SaaS company? Uh, boy, there probably have been a whole bunch. Um, <laughs> a, a lot of it is always, I feel, on the people side. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that's, you know being willing to actually go out and talk to people. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen a lot of technical startups, great engineering, mm -hmm. and they're just not getting out there and having a conversation. So that they're missing out on sort of this network effect of mm -hmm. you tell someone what you're doing, they'll tell someone, oh, I talked to so-and-so, and just getting that network effect out. But they're also missing out on, on, on maybe critical feedback that they mm -hmm. can be getting. They don't have to accept it, but it's it's a good conversation to have because you never know what you'll learn. Mm -hmm. And I think focusing exclusively and blindly to you know a, a technical issue is not necessarily going to get you the information you need to be successful with actual customers. Mm -hmm. So it, it's great when Apple says, "I'm going to build this, and it will magically be loved by everyone." Well, they still do a ton of research, and you just mm -hmm. don't hear about it because that's not the company they, they're going to be known for. They want mm -hmm. to be known as building magical things, but they're spending the hard work behind the scenes mm -hmm. making sure they're understanding what people actually, uh, uh, how they interact with things. Yeah, I'm one of the early adopters of a lot of technologies, and I've seen 
a lot of founders who are actively like either they're completely involved with their customers and, and reaching out to them personally and asking them how the product is doing, you know, what, other, what more they can do. Even just today, I'm, I'm, we're actually going through a, a product test called Avoma. So Avoma is actually a platform called a very organized meeting assistant. Um, so the founder is actually actively working with us to get the product implemented within our organization. So uh, it integrates with Zoom and GoToMeeting, listens Perfect. to our conversations, and it actually transcribes the call, tells you uh, how the conversations went, who spoke the most, what you know, what kind of questions were brought up, what kind of objections were brought up. So it's an amazing product, um, and it's machine learning, right, and natural language processing technology, right? So essentially, the, the founder is actually actively involved in helping us customize and configure the product to our use case so he can better understand the challenges that we are running into and, so and he can improve exactly that product. that's exactly it, yeah, because you can't just blindly throw out something and hope that everyone loves it. A, a everyone won't love it, mm -hmm. and B, you won't actually understand why people may not be attracted to the solution. Most certainly, and I think the, the best way to find your product market fit is to, to build a product that's actually somewhat marketable Get it to market as quick as you can. Get people to use it. Get the feedback and innovate and you know. And iterate. everyone is fine. You know, it used to be that you, you couldn't hand. No one could handle in you know iterate very mm -hmm. iterative development. But you know, every time I turn my iPhone on, there's you know 40 Oops. million updates, <laughs> and, and that's fine as as long as nothing's broken. Yeah. And I may actually even get something better off of it. That's great. What am I going to complain about? Uh, so people are used to that model. People are mm -hmm. happy to subscribe to that model. So mm -hmm. uh, take advantage of that. Don't don't try to live in a vacuum of, of your own ideas. Yeah, and being completely disconnected from your customers and how they're reacting to what you're, what you're putting out there. So obviously you've been in the SaaS space, you've been in the service companies, you're a consultant now. So if you had to redo it all, right, if you had to go build another company, what, what, are, are there some things that you'd say, hey, I would never do that again? Um, boy, I'm secretly building one now. So uh, what would I never ever do again? Oh boy, I think it depends on the company. Uh -huh. um, I think, here's the easy one. Mm -hmm. I think I would never ever again put 100% uh, of my personal equity into it. Mm. Um, that actually makes it too emotional sometimes to mm -hmm. make decisions when it's you know your own money in that company. Mm -hmm. It's great and you always should have some to keep you, you know, honest. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, definitely focus on finding, uh, you know, angel investors, partners, friends, and family mm -hmm. uh, more who can actually support that. Yeah, and and more so just the kind of the network effect as well, right? Finding other founders and partners who actually had done it before, correct? And getting their wisdom and knowledge on how they've scaled or how they've built. Absolutely. Part of the reason why we do coffee with closer is also just to pick the brains of people who've done it before and getting their insights and ideas, so you can you can learn from other people's mistakes. I'm, I'm definitely picking the brains of, an, uh, of a very successful uh, entrepreneur right now for a new project. Um, and yes, that's, I think, a very good uh, thing to add to that. Any, any parting wisdom for our audience? Boy, parting wisdom. Uh, don't be afraid of people. Technology mm -hmm. is great. Everyone's on, you know, some kind of video chat, things like that. But I do find that people aren't taking the time to make valuable connections and relationships that mm -hmm. last, you know, beyond just that sales call or that technical call. Mm -hmm. you know, have that conversation, get to know each other. Your life will change. You may turn over into multiple companies and uh, you want to be able to keep a lot of these relationships. I've had relationships through work for, for decades and it, that's been fantastic and I've been very 
lucky be, uh, to have some of these people in my life. Yeah, I have a, I have a good friend of mine who's actually kind of like a coach to me, and he, he says there's something called a, a contact and a relationship. Everybody that you see on your contact in your phone is just a contact, but that's not a relationship. A relationship is somebody you, act, you have a, a mutual, you know, mutual uh, relationship. Essentially, you both know each other, know each other's issues and problems and challenges, and 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 is able to help each other out through those circumstances, right? You're a not contact just pitching is, to them; you're actually listening. Correct. Yeah, and a contact is just nothing but a phone number in your in your database. And he said, "Hey, don't ever become somebody else's just a contact. You want to build as many relationships as possible." And so that I'll just finish that one off with. Uh, listen, mm -hmm. people like to talk a lot about, this is what I'm doing, I'm so great, it's not about you. L mm -hmm. Listen, listen. You can't listen, you know, texting or something, you gotta listen in person. Most certainly. Well, Robert, I appreciate you taking the uh, you, time to sit down with me, and thank you, and wish you all the best with your new ventures. Excellent, thank you very much. This episode of Coffee with Closers is brought to you by One IMS, a leading digital marketing agency helping businesses win new customers. To request a free marketing ROI audit, please visit oneims.com. If you enjoyed this video, please share it. To make sure you never miss an episode, please subscribe.